Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Year Asian Americans. I am your host, Jerry Wan, and I thank you for joining us for this episode. If it's your first one with us, thank you and welcome. If you've been with us for all 138, thank you still. Welcome back. And I hope you continue to join us as we share, amplify, and celebrate Asian American stories from all the corners of our amazing community. This episode is really special for me. It is the audio replay of the event that we had last Tuesday on March 15th in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest 2022 in a panel entitled The Asian Americans, Now What? Featuring my amazing friends, Muna Husseini, a tech exec and local activist in Austin, Texas, Dion Lim, newscaster from San Francisco, Nidia Han, newscaster from Philly. And we talked about what it has meant for us to witness and to experience all the things that have plagued our community, not just in the last year, but for many years before that, how we are dealing with it, how we can all collectively do our part to make sure that these things happen less, uh, particularly for our families and children. Uh, if you're listening, if you're re-listening to this episode, you'll notice that the intro has changed. Uh, yesterday, we did not have it, but today we got the uh, the tapes from the event organizers, so it is better quality and it is cleaner, and we hope that uh, you're able to hear our words uh, a little bit more clear. And so I encourage you to share this episode out on social media, send it to friends uh, who need to hear this, who wanted to come join us in Austin, but were not able to. And so we are so grateful that you are here and so grateful to everybody who showed up in person uh, to Austin last week to join us, who supported us virtually, who rooted for us, who voted for us in Panel Picker. And for uh, every single person who listens to this podcast, who uh, follows us on social media, and just overall uh, is doing what we can to amplify Asian American stories in the ways that we are, um, are in control of. And so thank you so much. Uh, please join us on Instagram. Uh, all of our social tags are on uh, the so show notes um, at the bottom, or just uh, look us up on our website at theareasianamericans.com. Again, thank you so much for joining us. It is an honor uh, to do this and a special treat for us to share this tape with you. So on behalf of Muna, Dion, Nidia, and myself, welcome to the Asian Americans. And here now is the audio tape from South by Southwest. Hey everybody. Um, wow. Um, thanks for coming. It's with mixed emotions that we're here today, because um, I think South by Southwest and the four of us getting together um, should be under better circumstances. Um, we had thought of this panel uh, about nine months ago when the submissions were coming uh, available, and we thought, you know, what, what a great opportunity to reflect on what we've been through uh, as a community and as individuals um, in what will be a year tomorrow uh, from the vicious and racist murders uh, of eight people in Atlanta, uh, but also to be looking forward and to hopefully be talking about all this stuff uh, only using past tense verbs. Uh, that was the idea, uh, but we're still here. Um, and just yesterday, uh, seeing videos of people who could be my mom, being pummeled. Um, so I want to thank you guys for coming here. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but it's, okay, it's important. Jerry. And so, yeah, 
you should know that Jerry put this whole panel together and we really owe him a debt of gratitude for his leadership, for our community and amplifying our stories. If you don't already follow Jerry Wan on Instagram and listen to his podcast, Dear Asian Americans, you really should because as you can see, Jerry is in it for all of us and for all the right reasons and he is such an authentic leader and doing so much good work. So yeah, we really agreed. thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Nidia. Um, so we want to spend the next hour um, sharing our stories. Um, we'll introduce ourselves here in a little bit for those who don't know us as well. Um, and we'll love to engage you in any conversation or any questions that you may have. And if you are so bold and so brave and so open to sharing some of your stories with us um, so that we can process these things together. Um, we don't have the answers, nobody does. Um, if we did, we wouldn't have to uh, continue to have these conversations. But what we hope to share with you uh, we come from diverse backgrounds, from different parts of the country, and our experiences are very unique. Um, but yet, it still doesn't um, make it any easier for us to uh, have these conversations, especially as uh, the attacks don't seem to be stopping. And so, um, uh, we'll start with Muna here. Uh, to my left, we'll introduce our guests. Um, I'll introduce myself at the end, and then we'll go through some prepared questions, and then we'll open it up to everybody. Um, and so, if you would do us uh, the favor of uh, just being your, uh, being attentive with us for the next hour or so. Um, we would love that. And um, if you uh, want to ask questions, uh, feel free to come up and uh, stand by the mic or sit next to the mic and use that so everybody can hear you. Um, but yeah, again, thank you for coming. It, it means the world. And uh, we're grateful that you're here. So, Muna, welcome. Hi, thank you all for joining us. And Jerry, thank you for bringing your whole self to this conversation. Um, this conversation is hard. I'm here because I've been a victim of hate crimes. And uh, I'm also here because us together dealing with these things is what's powerful and what's going to change the conversation when we all start showing up for each other. Uh, I'm a mom. I'm a techie, and because I was a victim of hate crimes, I'm an accidental community activist. I never signed up to do this work. I didn't want to do it. Um, but I think it's important because I want to build the world for all of our children to be able to play together and live their best life. And we can only do that when we show up together. So I'm, I'm really happy to be having this conversation, even though it's not a happy occasion. But us showing up together is what's going to change the narrative. So I'll pass it to Nidia. Thanks, Muna. I appreciate it. My name is Nidia Hahn. I'm an anchor reporter at the ABC-owned and operated station in Philadelphia. I am so grateful to all of you who have shown up today, who are here to engage in this conversation and to learn, and hopefully to go out into the world and share what you learned today with others. It is critical that we do everything we can, that we take this opportunity that we have in this moment to really change the narrative for Asian Americans. I have said so many times that Robert Aaron Long pulled the trigger a year ago and killed eight people, including six women of Asian descent. But it is the response by law enforcement, the mainstream media, politicians, prosecutors, that really exacerbated the pain of the Asian American community. And what happened in Atlanta is a result of deeply rooted historical prejudice and discrimination. And we have got to change that now. So thank you all for being here. Well said, thanks, Nydia. 
Before I get started, Jerry, I just want to say thank you for having all of us. And your vulnerability is your strength. And I want everybody to know that because until you begin to show that and people can realize that they are not alone, we cannot continue to fight that hate. So like Nydia, I am also in journalism. My name is Dion Lim. I'm a news anchor and reporter at ABC7, the owned and operated station in the Bay Area. You've probably seen the attacks come out of Oakland, out of San Francisco. They are heinous. They make me ill. I used to be a reporter known for going to the Oscars, going to cover the Warriors for the NBA Finals in Toronto. I get to be on the court. It was awesome. Don't get me wrong. I, like you, did not sign up for this. When the pandemic happened, I found myself as the voice of the community. And I went from waking up wondering, oh, what am I going to pitch in our meeting, to looking at my phone and realizing, how am I supposed to pick which story deserves coverage of AAPIs? So hopefully, all of you will find this a place where you can be safe, you can realize that the emotions that you have been having for the past couple of years are totally normal. And I know that this is so cliche and has been said so many times during this pandemic, but really it is okay to be okay. And I'm also coming to grips with that as a Chinese American woman myself. Thank you everybody. Um, and again, thanks for joining us. It's, it's really impactful that um, we're able to have an event for us. You know, I'm coming from LA and um, I follow Dion, I follow Nidia, I follow uh, my uh, friend and brother Stefan on Instagram. And if you follow them, then we're all aware of the things that are happening to people who look like us, the people who look like our fathers and mothers. And to come here, um, you know, people get really excited to meet you at South By as they do, and they say, what are you here for? I'm like, I'm speaking on a panel, what's it about? And when we share with them, and we've all had similar instances of, you know, we want to commemorate the victims of the murder and think as a community what we can do going forward, people don't know how to respond. Um, some people aren't even aware. Um, you know, I am pretty active on LinkedIn, and um, because it matters how we show up to work. Um, when Michelle Goh and Christina Yuna Lee were murdered in New York City, I shared how this impacts me and how it impacts us. And just as a reminder to people who work with fellow Asian American women to be more mindful. And I was shocked uh, by the number of people who said, I hadn't heard about this until you posted it. And for us, it's how do you not know? People are dying and people are being murdered simply for the way we look, and yet some people just don't know. And so what I want to start off with by saying is if you have the opportunity to, and we all share the same news articles from our friends at Next Shark and other places when it comes to these types of uh, incidents, share it anyway. Even with you know, the people that are in this room, if we were to put all of our social networks on a Venn diagram, each of us has a part of our circles that don't uh, overlap with anybody else. And for that person that you may have gone to school with, or people in your family, or even people family back home in Asia who don't actually understand what it means to be us here, please do that. Because it feels like overstimulation or over, you know, just doing, overdoing it, but um, it's important. And so for folks who may not be as familiar, I would just want to share some numbers with you that either uh, might be shocking or saddening or both. Um, according to Stop AAPI Hate, which is Dr. Russell Jung's organization, um, in the last uh, two, about two years, they have had over 11,000 self-reported instances of anti-Asian hate incidents to them. Uh, the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum just released a study uh, or a research uh, about a few weeks ago 
where they interviewed more than 2,000 Asian American women. 74 say they experienced some form of racism or discrimination, um, about two-thirds of that being from strangers, but about a quarter of that from people that they know. 40% have also experienced sexual harassment of some sort. And they have also witnessed a 339% increase in hate crimes since the time they've been tracking it. And so even though there seems to be so much going around in the world and as we seem to be moving away or moving in some direction away from COVID, um, as we sit here all mostly maskless, um, hoping to reclaim what is normal, um, I, I want to start, and we'll start with you, Dion, and coming back this way. Um, at least for Dion and Nidia, um, it is your job to cover these things. It is your job to remain objective. It is your job to tell the truth. Um, much like Muna, uh, I am an accidental Asian-American storyteller. Um, when my parents brought us here 30 years ago, they did not dream that they would send their kids to good schools only to have their second son make money by telling Asian-American stories. That's not in the playbook, right? But I thought that was important because nobody else was doing it. And I'm doing it for my kids and all of our kids. And so, um, Dion, how have you been doing personally? That's a loaded question, isn't it? Well, first off, I'm Asian, so I cannot drink a lot. But if I could and process alcohol, I would probably be hitting the bottle an awful lot because it has been hard. And I guess at your workplace, what do your peers say? What do your managers say to you? Oh, please seek help. Go talk to someone. Easier said than done. For me, there is this stigma, and many of you in this room will agree, that being Asian American, we tend to keep our feelings inside. My father refuses to go to the doctor because he's a strong Asian man. My mother told me as I was reporting on all of these crimes, stop. Why don't you cover something happy? Because you're making Asian Americans look bad. Can you imagine working your entire life, being the face of a news station, the first Asian American woman to be at the helm of a Monday through Friday newscast in three different places before getting to the Bay Area, and your family telling you that your work does not matter. So there are a lot of challenges to overcome, but I think for me, answering the question of how am I doing, I find solace in the people who are in this room today, who are engaged and paying attention. I also feel better when someone who does not look Asian American is taking the time to learn, to be educated, and just the random people who ask, how are you doing? It's as simple as that. It doesn't need to be a sweeping grand change. You don't have to see a protest or a demonstration to know that there are people behind you. So that's what keeps, keeps me going. I have to say, this really is more about relationships than it is about rallies. Totally. If we want to solve this, this has to be about people. This has to be about every single person in this room taking responsibility and acting. And it's not just about Asian Americans. And so I am also so happy to see all of the allies in the room today because frankly, I'm a little tired of preaching to the choir. Exhausting. Because a lot of the things that we're talking about that's your lived experience, so it's no surprise to those of you who are Asian American in the room. But this is about how we as humans default to prejudice and hate when we are afraid, when we feel threatened, when people are unfamiliar to us, right? All of this labeling that gets done, this racist labeling, gets done because people are afraid. 
And so we all need to move in. We have to get out of our bubbles. When we share stories, it can't just be with each other. It has to be with a diversity of people, people with whom you work, people with whom you go to school, people in your neighborhood. That is the only way we are going to work together. I always say we need to stand on each other's shoulders so that together we can get over that fence of racism to the other side. We all have shared goals. We all want the same things for our families. We have the same dreams. We have the same hopes. We want to be safe, right? We want to have a safe, secure environment and country. And we can only accomplish those shared goals if we do it together. So to the allies in the room who are here today, thank you. And please, all of you, share what you're learning from Dion and from Jerry and from Muna out there. Like, let's not keep it within this room, within these walls. Yeah, how are you? Um, it's, uh, it's humbling to be sitting here. Um, Dion and I were talking earlier, and she'll share a story about where we are and what point in time we're at and how things are going to change. But I was a victim of hate crimes when 9-11 happened, and it's, you know, 21-plus years later. And when I was a victim, I really felt like I was on my own. And while this moment is hard, it makes me think about the legacy of racism in this country, right? And how black and brown bodies from the beginning have been struggling, right? Native Americans, black people, Chinese people, even people who were not considered white, right? And how that is part of our story in our nation. And so all of us showing up together to take care of each other is part of the story we must move forward. And so while it's hard, because for me being a victim, it's like I have this little bird that sits on my shoulder, right? I never know that I'm safe when I'm walking because I was actually almost stabbed walking in public in broad daylight in a group in an upscale neighborhood. All the things that you tell yourself, well, if I go in a group, I'm gonna be okay. I'm in daylight, I'm gonna be safe. I'm with friends, I'm gonna be okay. And the reality is, you have no idea what could happen. And as women, we're targeted sometimes because maybe we're defenseless, right? You were talking about, you know, that woman who was attacked could have been your mother, your grandmother. Can you imagine your 70-year-old mother, your 90-year-old grandmother being attacked? It's hard. To, to think about that reality. It's easy, to, easy, and sometimes for our mental health, we don't think about it, right? We shut down news and social media. But we have to be showing up for each other, and I think it's really important, and I, um, you know, those coalitions are what keep me going. Um, and uh, learning from the strength of other communities, right? And, and I, I think you brought up the the, is it the Stop API? Sorry, I don't know. What was the name of that organization? Stop AAPI Hate. Right. Um, our coalitions are growing, right? There's the Asian American Foundation, which was recently started to focus on civil rights work and also 
creating awareness on what our community is facing. And I think it's important to highlight the, the progress, right? And if, if there isn't progress, I think I'd be in bed with a blanket over my head and I'd never come out because it's hard and I have to show up every day and like, okay, this bird is here, but I'm not listening to it. And, um, and so it's a choice every day. Jerry is, I guess, what I'd say. Thank you so much for all for sharing. Um, you know, and it's also a, a great reminder when we talk about Asian America, um, when we often talk about Asian America, or you go to Asian American events, um, you're most likely to see three dudes who look like me that are either Korean or Chinese, and we will speak for all four billion people. That's not what the reality is. And we can make an argument about what the demographics look like. But Asian America looks like Muna. Every Asian America looks like Nidia, Dion, and all of you. And so when we talk about Asian America, um, we do it we don't speak for all people, but we want to speak up for those people. And so um, I got upset in April when uh, Punjabi American Sikh, Muslim, or Sikh uh, folks were murdered in Indianapolis. And Asian American activists stayed silent because they didn't fit our description of what Asian America was supposed to be. And so let's also be mindful of including everybody in these discussions not to make anybody else feel excluded, because then they win. When we divide, they win. And so also just to note that when we talk about these things, these acts happening to us, advocating for the safety and just the humanity, just the life of our people is not anti anything else, but racism and supremacy. We are not anti against any particular group of people. And so also be mindful of the people who will take these opportunities to drive a wedge between the communities who have shared pain, who have shared experiences, and who actually have a shared future and our hope because that's the only way out of this stuff. And so it's complicated, it's complex. Um, I often get notes from people saying, hey, you have an Asian American podcast, what about me? And I say, I'm trying. Um, I'm trying to, you know, we can't ever be exhaustive in our representation. Um, but I encourage, if you don't feel represented in any sort of setting, including Asian American settings, uh, feel empowered to speak up or to share that story with somebody. Uh, because we're just coming together on our own as this new identity, right? And so my parents were born in the 50s in post-war Korea. Um, they probably identify as Koreans who happen to be living in America. Not even Korean-American. And so for them to identify as Asian American and to unify under this new umbrella to fight for our lives together is still a very new concept because in their lifetime, they were fighting and they were taken over by other Asian countries and back home, people still hate each other based on your country, right? And so it's super nuanced, it's really complicated. We have nothing, there's not a single thing other than the word Asian that brings us together. No food, no color, no animal, no nothing. And so it's ultimately for us, the way I see it, humanity that should bring us together. And so that's my ask of you today, if you take away anything else, just to continue to challenge the way that we think about it. Um, our event today is titled, What Now? Um, and so I wanna ask all of you, each of you, where are we since a year ago? Are we in a better place? And I wanna ask that in two, two different um, topics. Um, safety and just the mental, physical, emotional well-being of the community from where you sit. And the second part is, are we more collectively together and are we in a better position as a community 
as some of these nonprofits are popping up, as more people are aware, as more money is being raised, as even we have this event here and the like, um, where are we and, and where are we going? And with that, we'll start with you, Muna. I, um, I'll talk about the fact that um, there is more awareness and I, I actually would like to um, attribute the Black Lives Matter movement to creating more awareness collectively. And that's whether you agree with the tenets or not. People are way more aware of racism and the conversation around racism than ever before. And the timing of George Floyd's murder and then the massacre that happened in Atlanta and several other things, the conversation has now moved to the front page, whereas before it wasn't even getting coverage, right? Um, and as you heard from what Jerry said, still not getting coverage because some people don't even know about these heinous acts that are happening. Um, but it is progress. I will talk about that and, and give a little credit where it's due for the fact that things are moving. Um, I will also talk about, while it's not specific to the last year, there has been more coalition building. And I'll, I'll give an example in the sense that, like here in Austin, when Trump got elected, we actually had a rally here in town, no ban, no wall where the Muslim community and the Latino community came together and we had a rally. I think 12,000 people showed up. And I don't know that people associate the Muslim community and the Latino community together to show up and start working together. And I feel like we've all traditionally had different civil rights organizations, whether it's like the NAACP or the ACLU or whatever. And now these groups are starting to link hands and work together, case in point, like I think the Asian American Foundation, which was recently started, Jonathan Greenblatt, who is part of ADL, is on the board. These organizations that maybe weren't working together before are now stepping up and sharing information and supporting each other, and that's how we start to drive that change. Um, and so, again, I, I prefer to focus on the things we can do, because otherwise I think I'd, like I said, be in bed. <laughs> so I'll pass it to you. I will say on a personal level, every single person in my family now carries a personal alarm. So you pull out the pin and it sounds an alarm so that if you're being attacked, hopefully the attacker will run away. Um, and we just got those for Christmas. Those were Christmas gifts. How sad is that? Um, so in terms of feeling safe personally, um, I think it's pretty telling that I felt the need to buy alarms for every single person in my family and carry one myself, right? Um, I do think there has been progress, though, since the pandemic began. I think this has really helped pull the curtain back on our lived experience. It has put us in this conversation where people are finally seeing that we are also the targets of racism. You know, back in 2017, I did a viral video on Facebook. I didn't intend for it to go viral. I was shocked that it did. But I was responding to a driver who yelled, this is America at me on a Philadelphia street. I assumed she yelled, this is America at me, because she didn't think my Asian face could belong to that of an American. And so I pushed back in this Facebook video that ended up going viral. And there were so many comments from people who said, you're being too sensitive you are making much ado about nothing. You need to be quiet. 
And I think if that kind of video were to go viral today, my hope is that there would be fewer of those comments. Um, there were also a lot of comments back in 2017, however, also in solidarity from people of all backgrounds, of all races. And one of the things that I think is really important that we as Asian Americans remember is that if we want to, if we want people to show up for us, we have to show up for them. And so I am often posting also on social media, not just about the latest incident of anti-Asian hate, but anti-Semitism, anti-Black hate, anti-Latino hate, I mean, you name it, right? I mean, I think it's really important that together we amplify what's happening in our communities. Um, I also think that this has really created a space and a lot of safe spaces to have conversations like this. I don't know that South by Southwest would have thought to have us participate in this kind of session two years ago, right? Um, so I do think a lot of progress has been made. And even when I look at the media now, you know, we've got Shang-Chi and Turning Red and Minari and all of these beautiful Asian American films and stories that are being shared. And I think that's super cool. And I think it's really helpful. Um, I have one ask when you leave this room tomorrow, right, is the anniversary of the Atlanta spa killings, the one year anniversary. And if you talk about those killings. I would just ask that you refer to those businesses that were targeted as spas and not as massage parlors. I anchored the morning show the day after the killings and I was so incensed and deeply hurt by the use of the word massage parlors to describe these businesses because it dehumanized and really discriminated against the women who were killed. It, may, it painted them as prostitutes instead of hard-working immigrant women with families. And I think if those businesses had not been Asian owned and operated, no one would have called them massage parlors. If you look up massage parlor in the dictionary, that term, the definition is an establishment that provides massage or an establishment that provides sex in lieu of massage. So there's no question that this term has a negative connotation. And to attach that so immediately to these businesses that these women owned and operated is racist, biased, insensitive, and wrong. And I immediately sent a note to my local station, to ABC owned and operated, the television group, to the network, and I will say, our leadership immediately responded, and ABC stopped using the term massage parlors. And I'm really grateful for that. But there are still many media and print outlets that do use that term. I hear people use it in conversation, and, and sometimes I think people just don't think, right? So that's why I bring it up today, and I hope that you will <laughs> take this out there and tell people to stop using that term, because I cringe, and it pisses me off, frankly, every time I hear it. I'm with you. <laughs> and I think it is education, right? Because when I lived in Kansas, when I lived in Missouri, North Carolina, Florida, and people would Pocatello, wave at me. Idaho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, City. you know. And people would wave at me in the street, and they'd go, hey, Connie Chung. Yeah. 
And I'd be like, huh? How many of you all actually know who Connie Chung is? Are we talking to the right audience? Okay, okay. Because sometimes I go to a school and they have no idea. I've also been called that yeah. countless times. Countless times. <laughs> Connie Chung, mind you, is in her 70s right now, so... I'm probably the oldest of this group, but I'm not that old. Oh, please. Oh, please. No, Asian don't raisin. That's a good stereotype I'm going to go with. Uh, so much to unload here, and I have so many things that I want to piggyback off of. First off, I want to say there was a turning point for me during the past couple of years when viewers, they used to send me chocolate, they used to send me flowers, very nice tokens of appreciation. When they started sending me pepper spray in the mail, I said, this is messed up. So needless to say, I have a very nice collection of pepper spray, and the fact that I feel compelled to go out in public and grab whatever sharp object I have to put it in my purse if I don't have my pepper spray. I actually think to myself that a pen is a great weapon because I can stab someone with it. I probably shouldn't say that. The lady on TV has a pen to do that, but it's, it's important. It's yeah. important because that's the reality of the situation. It is so true. And for anybody who pushes back and says, oh, you shouldn't be saying that, well, guess what? This is America. This is where we're at right now. On the topic of the spa shooting and what you felt, that anger that was bubbling up inside you, two things. One, as journalists, I think we're always told, right, tell the story in school. It was always be like Walter Cronkite and just state the facts. I don't think we can do that anymore. Your video showed me that you were human and made me want to reach out to you because I didn't know you. And I think we have a responsibility to use our lived experience yes. to inform how we cover and what we see, right? Like, you human. It's Asian American journalists who in many cases and in many newsrooms said, whoa, we cannot take Long's narrative as fact and as truth and hold it out there, that requires investigation and questioning because we knew this intersectionality between race and gender and racism and misogyny. We could see that this was clearly race-based. Very much so. And so I think we have to report it that way, right? Yeah, and here's the deal. You can have a seat at the table, that's great, but it's what you do with that seat that actually matters. And here you can be on TV, it looks very diverse, but behind the scenes, it's the people in the positions of power that are going to make the difference. And for me, I remember the exact moment I was when I learned about the shootings. I was sitting at my kitchen table, still working from home, and we had had two, no, three, if memory serves me correctly. You'll have to look through my Instagram in order to find out. Attacks on Asian Americans that very week, including not too long earlier, a woman who was stabbed with a giant serrated hunting knife and someone had leaked to me through one of my sources, the actual knife itself. I looked at it, I almost dropped my phone. It was one after another, after another, after another. And when the spa shooting happened, I thought the same thing, the, the wording was incorrect. Fast forward to, I love what, by the way, the Asian American Journalist Association also put out. They also put out a guide on how to pronounce all the victims' names so that way people across the country could be respectful and not just shove us under a rug somehow, because that's how I see a mispronunciation oftentimes. Or a non-pronunciation. Yes, worse, right? just ignoring like, the name. Let's learn how to say Say the Kim. name. Yeah, they deserve it. But I'm going to just say that even though it has been a year, Within the past several months, I covered a story in Alameda, California. It's in the Bay Area, in the East Bay, where a man, Caucasian man, who owns a gym that offers massage, physical massage, advertised on his website and in social media posts that his spa 
was not like those shady Asian spas that provide happy endings. Or at least that was along the lines, maybe that's not verbatim, but that was the essential message. And he also said that my facility doesn't smell like Chinese food. And it was encouraging to me on the question of where we are one year later to know that there were community members who spoke up on Nextdoor, who reached out to me directly, who were not afraid, and they were people of all different colors who said, this is really messed up, you should do a story on it. And I did. What do you think happened? His Yelp reviews took a dive. You know, whether or not you should be writing Yelp reviews about someone's business that you had not been to, but it really showed the character of a particular business owner. So for me, I find that encouraging, and I find that to be at least one sign of progress that we've made in the past year. There are consequences when we speak up, when we stand up. I mean, Jerry, you sent me the information about a hoagie shop in Philadelphia that was advertising COVID mac and cheese. It was macaroni and cheese covered in Chinese garlic sauce. And after Jerry sent it to me, we amplified that story. And I mean, the menu item got taken down, right? I mean, I have so many examples of that. You know, they we- shut down for two days because their phone wouldn't stop ringing from our friends, which helped. Yeah. <laughs> Can I mention something else too? Is that in our coverage, right, and your coverage also because you run a company, you know, we're not dissing the actions necessarily, we're bringing them to light, and I think there's a difference between activism and being an activate horror, and I think when you feel so small and so powerless and hurt, you're hurting so badly, knowing that the audience, that the people in your community have reacted in such a robust way, that's kind of awesome. I want to make one point and actually appreciate both Dion and Nydia for the work they do, because Traditional journalism here should be unbiased and share the facts. In 2015, Dia, Razan, Yusur, three Muslim kids were shot execution style in their homes, and it was reported as a dispute over parking. Are those the facts that are important? Any Muslim person who heard that story laughed, thinking it was about a parking spot. It was not about parking. There was a thread of hate that was completely hidden in the way the reporting was handled. And if not for representation in journalism, the way that Dion and Nydia do that, and allies who showed up and started pushing back in the community, if we didn't have that, that story would never be told. And so it's the difference between flipping a story from black and white to color to actually understand the lens that we need to evaluate and understand circumstances to help tell the right story and expose the right situation. Because other people may not have the right lens and the right context and the right understanding to evaluate what is happening and what will continue to happen. So telling our own stories, having our own representation and having allies speak up is super important to changing the narrative and bringing it back and empowering ourselves. And so like, you've heard every single one of the panelists here say, please go talk to people. Please push the story outside of our communities because we can't change things on our own and we have to be showing up for other communities and and in a sense, almost tirelessly doing this work um, if we want to change things. And so I just want to appreciate you because I remember 
after September 11th happened, I didn't know, and, and again, this is probably also pre-internet, but I didn't even know how to reach out and talk to people. And so it's super exciting for me to know that you're both here and that there are so many folks who are showing up, not only in print, but in the newsroom and on social media to be changing the narrative. So it's, uh, I, I just wanna like make people realize the importance of that storytelling with that specific fact of how that situation was handled. Thank you. Um, we're gonna be starting to take questions in a minute, so if you want to share a story with us or uh, ask us a question, any of us, um, please uh, queue up here by the mic. Um, you know, oftentimes I get questions, and I'm sure we all do, of, you know, you have this platform, you're on TV, you're used to talking about this stuff. How do I get involved? What can I do, right? Because we feel so small when we're being attacked. And I think all of us, none of us wanted to do this as kids. We're doing this with people who are punching our, you know, or, or killing us, right? Like we have to, it's a matter of survival. And, you know, I, I can't stand for my children talking about the same shit in 20 years. And you have that power too. Um, if you know my story, I quit my corporate job after business school to do this because not enough Asian American stories are being told, right? So you don't have to quit your job. Don't do that, especially when you have two kids. <laughs> but wherever you are in life, whatever organization you sit on, push the envelope. Do not let them confirm the stereotype that we eat our own words, put our head down, and don't fight back. There is a respectful way to do it, but there are sometimes disrespectful ways that are necessary to do it because only then do people start to pay attention that our voices should matter. It is, you know, uh, all of us, we, we speak at companies and schools outside of the work that we do, and we're busy in May because that's when there's budget for us, and it's politically correct to have an APAM event. But we want to be heard all year round because we're Asian all year round. I wake up like this every day. So we have to, wherever we are, we can't change the way that we look. And so whether you are in college, make the demands of the administration, get involved with the clubs. If you're a junior person, find a mentor in your company that will back you and give you political cover to make requests for events and to have safety be a primary concern, especially as we go back into the workplace. Our physical safety is at risk. And so also realize that wherever you are in life, and especially if you're on the younger side, I know when you're in college, it seems like you're the bottom man on the totem pole and everybody is up so high above you. There are kids from your neighborhood, from your church, from your local neighborhood, in junior high and high school that look up to you like a god. And they're paying attention to what you're saying, what you're sharing, and who you're advocating for. And so do it for them. I know it's hard, you know, it's, it's somebody's mentioned earlier, I think Muna said, if we didn't have the optimism and if we didn't have other things in our lives to bring us joy, we could drown in this bad news all day and just go into a really dark place. And so at the, in the same breath, shine at whatever the hell that you do because you know what annoys racists? When we kick ass at shit, right? That's true. So when we win... You're allowed to clap for that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It bothers them because they don't see us wearing USA getting a gold medal. They don't see us getting the Oscars because it wasn't made for us. They never thought that we could be there. And so yes, the system sucks and the system's rigged, but 
it's, it's a delicate conversation, right? We need to be in the system to change it, but we need to be also outside the system to, to disturb it and to rock the, vote, the boat, rather. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I want to be as hopeful as I can. Um, it is difficult. Um, I couldn't go to sleep last night. Um, Patrick was snoring for two and a half hours. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. Sorry, Patrick. I, it's, it's, on, it's, on, it's on video now. But I was thinking about how, what, am I, what are we going to say tomorrow? Um, the video of the 67-year-old woman in Yonkers, New York, being hit 125 times, being stopped on seven times, being yelled, Asian bitch. That video kept playing over and over in my head. And part of it is, maybe, maybe we go patrol, right? Like, what, what do we actively do? And all the things that we're talking about in the short term is for the immediate safety of our family and the people that we love. But in the long run, there needs to be systemic changes. So whether whatever thing that we wanna work on, whether it is for the advocacy of mental health or public service programs so that people don't fall through the cracks or uh, criminal and social justice reform, um, we also need to be focused, and this shit's exhausting, right? So uh, you don't have to do everything. That's why we're all here together. Um, but I, I wanna ask all, all our panelists as, um, as we transition to Q&A, um, what is one thing that you are hopeful for and that somebody in the audience can do in the next 20 days, in the next 30 days, uh, to try to make a positive impact so that next year we'll come back and we don't have to talk about the same damn stuff again? I want to say it does not take moving a mountain. You don't necessarily have to go out on patrol, even though that would be great. In Oakland, California, where we had a spate of more than a dozen in a span of 10 days last year, we actually had two, three different patrol groups, one that just celebrated their one-year anniversary, and get this, the community members, there's more than 100 of them, ages 17 to 76 coming out to escort elderly people or anybody who wants it to go to the grocery store. And I realize we're all busy. I mean, I don't have time to go, you know, take someone's grandma to buy some Pocky or anything like that. But I always say it takes small change and education. And it's not opening a textbook. It's not taking a course necessarily. It's by being here or something as simple as go to an Asian-owned business and buy something and talk to the person that has run it. I remember in Florida, there was someone I worked with who asked me when I brought pho for dinner, ooh, what's that? Is that Campbell's chicken noodle soup? It looks different. And I actually sassed him back because I didn't take it personally. It's just an education thing. I think they just didn't know better. And I said, no, actually, do you want to try it? Because it's way better, <laughs> way better. And you wouldn't believe it, but this person, I'm told, now eats pho regularly. And to me, that's a win. It sounds so silly. I'm not surprised. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, so if you can make a little change in someone's life like that, then I think that's phenomenal. To the people who called me Connie Chong, I mean... I think that's only because they didn't know any better, because they did not see people who looked like us. So if they took a moment to maybe just look up other Asian Americans or maybe look into her legacy, I would also call that a win too. I would say educate yourself, whether you're Asian American, non-Asian American, educate yourself about Asian American history. This is not taught in schools. Illinois and New Jersey have just mandated that Asian American history is part of the public school curriculum, but 
we have a lot of other states, right? So it is really important that you find this out on your own, do some quick research, watch the PBS documentary, Asian Americans. Um, there are a lot of ways where you can get this information. I mean, the reason why I say, the reason why massage parlors, that term, makes me so mad is because I do know our history. So the very first federal immigration law was the Page Act of 1875. It banned entry into this country by Chinese women because they were considered, quote, lewd and immoral. And it was said that they were prostitutes who would, quote, entice young white boys into a life of sin. So this stereotype, this stigma, has been in place since we stepped foot in this country. And so these are the kinds of things that I think it's important that we all know so that history doesn't keep repeating itself. So my challenge to you is I want every single one of you over the next few days to talk to five people about something that you learned, and not just Asian Americans. Talk to five people at least two who are not Asian American about what you learned today. And I think that's the way we make progress. I'm trying to think of what I could say that these two ladies already didn't. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I struggle with is sometimes it feels like all of the problems are overwhelming and you can't do everything about everything. So then I would say, okay, what is my locus of control and what do I have impact over? And we tend to underplay the importance of our families and our friends and just what happens in the walls of our home. And I would say that starting to have conversations where you spend the most of our t your time for some of us, that may be at home. For some of us, that may be work. And just doing two things, either sharing your story, and the second one could be hard, but asking for help or saying when you're struggling. I think many of us have been raised to be strong, to hold everything in, to handle everything, and we do not ask for help. And we don't say when we're struggling, and there is nobody who's going to challenge you when you're like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I read this story on the news and I can't be here because this old lady was punched and kicked and like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to work when there's that going on in my backyard and then there's this war in Ukraine. It is hard because by the way, those things are not necessarily separated. We're experiencing these things all of the time. And I will share, I guess, one minor story in the sense that I work at a company and we've been virtual since COVID started. And I actually generally stayed home since COVID started. And we have Slack channels at work and we have an Asian Slack channel at work for our employee resource groups. And when an attack happened, I think it was two weeks ago, one woman wrote and said, this is the only place that I feel like I can talk about this and share that I am struggling I remember reading that and being so grateful that she had a place to connect and share what was happening and say, I'm struggling at work today and this is a thing I'm dealing with. And another really cool thing about where I work is that while it's the Asian resource group, other employees can also join 
and be allies and show up for each other. And there was an extended community that got to hear this woman's experience and what she was struggling with. And it was so beautiful to me how people showed up and we have to take care of each other. And I, I bring this one up because all of us like to help other people. But when we don't share that we're struggling, we rob other people of the opportunity to help us. Well said. Thank you. Um, and if you don't have one on your Slack or whatever, start one. You don't need anybody's permission to bring three friends together. And then word will get around. And then that's where a lot of healing and a lot of uh, great conversations happen. Um, I want to leave you all with two sort of thoughts, um, both inter, you know, intergenerational. Um, this shit's really hard for our parents to process because they have to then face the question of why did I bring my kids here? Why did I come to this damn country if we're going to deal with this? And so they deal with it the way that at least Korean parents do, which is to not talk about it because it scares the shit out of them, as it should, because they want to be tough for us. So I don't know what the right answer is, but make sure that your parents are knowledgeable, or at least, you know, um, I haven't bought my mom any self-defense or anything like that. Maybe I should. Um, but, you know, in your own way that works for you, talk to your siblings, talk to your cousins, um, but make sure that they're doing okay. Because I think our parents don't, and especially they don't want to share with us. And two, uh, how many parents of young children in the room? How many people with nieces and nephews, young folks, young people in your lives? Cool. Uh, buy the crap out of Asian American children's books. Two things. Buy them for your Asian kids because they need to see us. And then we have a rule in our family. Every one of our kids' friends gets a children's book with an Asian face on it. Because if that's the only Asian children's book that sits on a white kid's bookshelf, then my job is done. And that's important for a lot of different reasons. Now, one of them being it puts money into our friends' pockets. It lets the very not diverse publishing world know that our stuff will sell. And it forces those families, the difficult conversations maybe, to have about what it means to center the story of somebody else in a children's story. If you've been on Facebook, you've all seen the, the feedback for Turning Red and how it's not relatable. Of course it's not relatable. If all your life you've only had to deal with white characters or talking animals. And for the first time, there's this brave Chinese girl. Yes, she turns into a fox, but yes, a Chinese girl. And people are saying, that story doesn't make any sense. And so the way that we, I try to at least subtly encourage my kids' friends. Um, so, you know, we have a, a great book that our friend Simran wrote is Faja Singh Keeps Running. Uh, obviously, Joanna Ho's books, uh, the second one just hit New York Times bestseller list. And so those books are actually also very well accepted because they're part of the common narrative, right? And so um, those books are good. Yeah. Well, just, um, you know, not pushing back on you, just pushing back in general because movies about cars or toys or ants or all of those things aren't relatable. Of course not. <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's a graphic that, um, there's a group called We Need Diverse Books and they did an analysis of like who the main character is in children's books. And it's like white kids, animals, and then like, you know, all of us are down here. And so it, it matters and it's important. And so, um, and, and just in general, um, buy our books, not our books. Well, she has one, buy Dion's book. It's called Shameless Ma Ma plug. Make Your Moment. Um, but, you know, 
gift those things, right? Make, a, make plans to go see movies that feature us. Again, it's important that we bring each other, but to share it with other people. Um, my belief is that in the long run, the best way out of this is through empathy, and the way to empathy is storytelling. Because once you humanize yourself to another human being, it gets so hard to harm them. It's because they don't see the human side of us. And for us culturally, and I, and I hope I'm not making a blanket statement for all Asian cultures, we're told to be quiet. We're not told to be bold. But what's also cool is that if somebody asks you to share your story, is it also not rude to say no? So ask other people into, you don't have to have a podcast. Just tell them, ask them to share your story somehow, some way. And if we do that with each other, it, pro it provides processing for ourselves, stories that we'd never even thought of, and to make sense of it. And even though we may all come from different countries and different cultures and different life experiences, there is something in your story that will resonate with somebody else. And the only way to find out is to tell it, to put it into the universe, and just let it be. Because you don't know who it's going to hit and how it's going to impact their lives. And the coolest part is that many of these lives that you impact, you'll never know about. Because they also don't want to share that with you, and that's okay. And so as we sit here, uh, four people who have the, the privilege uh, of having a platform at our companies, in our day jobs, through our families, to advocate for all of us, uh, we ask you to join us and get loud. Um, it's tiring, it's exhausting. So figure out a personal uh, self-care plan, whatever that may look like. Um, Dion, I, said, I thought when you were saying, you know, uh, viewers used to send you flowers and candy, and I thought they were sending you bottles of wine. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Still get those. <laughs> Still there. Um, but yeah, we have a few minutes for, for questions. Um, we want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Um, we have five minutes for questions. I think Dominique has one. Hi, thank you so much for putting this panel together and for everything you've shared. I really especially appreciated, Jerry, what you mentioned up top about expanding the idea of what Asian American is. And particularly, Muna, your story also really touched my heart because I was also um, a survivor of an attack. Um, I didn't think I was going to be crying at South by Southwest, so this is weird. Me neither. Join yeah. the team. <laughs> um, on Valentine's Day, my husband, who is Chinese American, and I, and I were attacked by a man who told me to go back to China, called me a bitch, and kicked me in the chest. And I'm sharing this story with you now because I think it's so important to understand that as we're struggling to stop API hate, it cannot come at the expense of black lives. Because when it happened, the Asian American cop, uh, and I, I didn't mention I'm coming from Lenape Hoking, the land of the Lene, Lenape and Canarsie people known by the settler colonial name Brooklyn. So in downtown Brooklyn, the Asian American cop to whom we reported it told us it could have been worse and we should have been lucky. And in fact, didn't take the police report that it was two people who had been attacked. He only recorded my husband. And it was only after the New York Times put the NYPD on blast that anyone called us to follow up or get any information. But the people who helped me in the moment were just members of the community on the street 
it was a white woman who had an Asian American adoptee daughter who noticed that something was wrong. It was an interracial black and white couple who picked me up in their car to help me try and catch up with my husband who was chasing this man down the street. And I know this personally because I have the pleasure of being multiracial. I'm Filipino and Mexican, or as I like to call it, double Mexican. <laughs> it's Mexican, Mexican, and Asian Mexican. <laughs> we know how to dance, we love pork, we hate the Spanish, it's a thing. Um, but joking aside, through the accident of genetics, I have family who phenotypically look really Mexican. And I know that even though I'm both of these things, I walk through the world and am perceived as an Asian woman. And I can't foresee a world that allows me to be safe, that comes at the expense of my brother who looks Mexican and who has repeatedly been held at gunpoint by the police who stopped him for being a drug dealer for no reason or for my mother who is Mexican-American, who when she was having a health crisis and when my brother called 911 to get help, she was jailed for seven days for no reason. So when you say we're fighting for our lives and it's not something that has to happen individually or siloed, it's very true. Um, so you inspired me to share this story with you and with everyone here and I would ask of the panelists, for folks who are setting out in careers in journalism, or who are starting out in media and want to share these stories, are there any lessons that you would, um, that you've picked up along the way or any advice that you would share about how to prepare themselves to tell stories? So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so brave. Um, in the interest of time, if we can get one answer and then we want to get one more question in, um, if either of so the first thing that someone who wants to join the media should do is join the Asian American Journalists Association. It is an incredible resource for professional journalists and for aspiring journalists. So um, that would be my first tip. Um, number two, it is once you get into the business, like Dion said, it's what you do with it, right? And that is to bring your full self to your newsroom. There was a time when I first started in this business that I was afraid to show my Asian-ness. It was like I was on TV every day but not fully seen and heard. And I was afraid to pitch Asian-American stories, stories that involve the Asian community because I was afraid that I would be dubbed that Asian reporter. I lightened my hair. I did all kinds of things so that I would seem as American as everyone else. And it is only after I did show up fully and wholeheartedly in the newsroom that I was able to do more meaningful work and that I think I also found greater success because I was being authentic and I was bringing value in a way that no one else was. Um, and for me too, for my mental health, it was much better. It was a huge lift just to be able to show up and be who I am in my own skin, right? So those are the, that's the advice I would give to someone who's looking to do what we do. And I would just add to that and say, they need you, make them understand why they need you. And you can't do that if you're in a meeting and you don't say anything. On a personal note, I know we said we'd keep it quick, Jerry. Um, what I will say to you and to anyone else that is struggling, I'm only sitting here whole and complete because I went through a lot of therapy and what happened to me happened 20 years ago. I really highly encourage you to go 
work with a therapist because I could very easily be a broken human right now. And second, for me, when I was attacked, I'm only here because of the kindness of strangers. Other people saved my life and I never was able to find them. But every time I've told my story, it's like ripping yourself open and I do it because I want people to learn and see my humanity but you gotta take care of yourself in the process. Like you can't just rip yourself open and expect to be okay tomorrow. And so I appreciate and I love that you had the courage to share your story. Make sure that on the back end of that, you equally help yourself stand up again and get the rest and care you need because it does take something out of you every time. And so it is, it is a gift at a cost and it's your choice when you do it and how you do it. But thank you for sharing it. Yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Susie. Hi, Jerry. Nice to meet all of you. Um, I'm a mother of two boys, 15 and 12. And two years ago, when, the, when COVID started and pandemic started, I remember thinking, I know what it's like to be a black mom now, being afraid for my children just walking down the street. So my question to you is, how do you talk to your children about Asian hate? Because recently, I got really scared to even take out the trash because it's located in the alley of my townhouse. And I literally said, I need a bodyguard to come with me to help me take out the trash because my sons are taller and bigger than me now. So how do you talk to them? I can, I can take it if... Well, I don't have the lens of being a parent, but I do want to say, though, is that this is where I think that education component comes in because I didn't even know about the history of why people hated us until I started reporting on it. And once you do get that lens of understanding, it kind of makes sense. And I would also go so far as to say, earlier on I said that my parents told me to stop reporting. I think finally, after 37 years, I think this was at the time, my father told me last year that he was proud of me. And that gave me enough fortitude to continue because those three words I'm proud of four words, <laughs> were so valuable to me that it kind of gave, it gave me the power and the strength to keep on going. So even if they're exposed to that, I think knowing that they have the support from you is going to be so crucial. Okay, so on this question, the reality is that you don't get to pick when your kids get to be introduced to racism. No one says, oh, you're 14 year olds now. I'm gonna be an asshat to you. And many of us have the experience, right, of being introduced to racism at a very young age. And so you can't, you cannot protect your kids from the ugliness of the world. And uh, I think, um, I know you said your, your kids are a little bit older, but I would even encourage for younger children to talk to them about what is happening and what could happen to them because for them to be supported through an incident, at least understand what's happening, will help them get through it, number one. Number two, it's not enough to just say, hey, this is happening in the world. What's more important is to give them agency in the situation and be like, if someone were to say something to you, this is what you can do. These are your choices. Here's how you can react. And I'll take it one step further. And by the way, what I'm saying is true even for like sexual assault victims. You gotta tell them 
that they need to go and find someone and ask for help and give them at least five trusted adults to go to because it is possible that the first person they go ask for help will shut the conversation down and ignore them. And so who are five trusted adults you can go to? And you keep going until someone listens to you and helps you. And I have told my own children, like, if this were to happen, by the way, like, when, when Trump was elected, I actually called my daughter. She was in elementary school at the time, and I called my daughter's principal because I was like, listen, I am not going to put up with any BBS, not just for my kids, but anyone's kids. So I will be paying attention. I'm going to the PTA. I've talked to my kid, and I've talked to my teacher, and I'm calling, not because I'm asking for your help, because I'm letting you know that I'm here, because when it goes down, me and all these other parents are going to roll through. So there was a level of accountability that I was like letting them know not to feel comfortable, right? But luckily when I made that phone call to the administrators and the kids and the teachers, they were like, oh yes, absolutely, your kids are safe. And I was like, I know, thank you, <laughs> right? But like, do your homework, inform your kids, and then roll through so that you have covered all the aspects of whatever you do have lo locus of control on, right? And like I told my child, I said, if your teacher doesn't listen to you, you go to the principal. If your principal doesn't listen to you, you wait till you call me. And by the way, you are not going to be in trouble. You do not have to put up with anything. If you get in trouble and you get kicked out of school, we're going to get ice cream next. <laughs> right? And so like, that's the level of like, Feeling do supported. it all. I think ask, affirm, and advocate. That's exactly what you just said. It's so important. We, I have a seven and nine-year-old, and so these are conversations that I have with our fellow parents all the time. Um, and I think one of the key pieces, like with our kids, they're so young that sometimes they're not always going to come home and share. And so I ask. You know, I kind of put my journalist hat on, and you know, how was your day? Did you hear about this? Um, I heard that this is happening in the classroom. Do you know about it? Things like that. And so I ask, and then again, I do. I I love that you are teaching your kids to stand up for themselves and letting them know that you will absolutely support and advocate for them. I think that's so important too. Thank you. Um, thank you for joining us today. I know there's a lot of fun stuff going on. There's a lot of exciting things and a lot of opportunity. Um, and for you to uh, spend the day with us um, and uh, for Nydia for joining us all the way from Philly. She anchored the morning news today in Philly and then jumped on a plane to come here. I've been so. up since 2 a.m. This makeup has been on since 2, so if it looks bad, that's so why. So impressive. <laughs> um, let's, not, let, let's not let this conversation stop here. Um, Asian America is beautiful. It is mixed race. It is LGBTQ. It is adoptee. It is all of us. And so um, I want to do one thing, if that's okay with the team, before we say goodbye. Um, can we get a group picture on the stage? Because Kevin's here too, and then we'll wrap. Is that okay with everybody? And uh, thank you so much for coming. This means the world to all of us.